I have one of our favorite, favorite guests on this side of heaven on the show. He is, and I'm not making this up, folks, and I'm not just saying it to be nice. I really do mean this, right? Alan West is here. Isn't that amazing? Alan West, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel and the author of a brand new must-have book. Brand new. We Can Overcome an American Black Conservative Manifesto. We're going to tell you how to get it. We have a picture of the book we're going to put up. But I am really excited that Alan West took the time out to come on with us again. He's been here before, a good friend of mine of the show and a bond. I do, I do appreciate that. Alan, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. It's good to be back with you, and thank you so much, and God bless you for your kind words. And uh, anytime, man, I'm, I'm here to be your servant and standing by for your call. Thank you. I absolutely appreciate that. I do want you to know when— when my staff hear that you are coming on, they all stop and pause and pay attention, right? So it's not a, it's not a made up thing. So we really love you around here. Thanks. How is the uh, race going for the Texas uh, chair of the Texas Republicans? How's that going? Yeah. The the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas is going very well. Of course, with this uh, coronavirus uh, issue and concern, a lot of the public speaking engagements have been canceled. Yeah. But the great thing is that you have, you know, social media and all the uh, other different information technology platforms that you can use to continue to stay connected with people. Last night we did a Facebook Live, and I think we had close to 100,000 uh, folks that have viewed that Facebook Live, and uh, we had a lot of engagement. So we will continue to use those means by which we can get our message out. But it's so important that we have to understand that come November, there's an an incredible election that is yeah. coming forward that is vital for the future of this constitutional republic. Um, do you? Th I mean, I don't. We don't know the future exactly, but if this coronavirus thing is not over by election time, will do you think that might impact the conservative voters or the, those who are running on the conservative side in any way? No, I don't think it will impact them. I think one of the things we should be looking at is how we can use, you know, modern day technology. We are in the 21st century so that we can ensure that American citizens are still able to go out and execute their right to vote. Yeah. So I think someone should be looking at that at the Federal Elections Commission uh, and start talking to the different respective secretaries of state on a conference call to say, OK, how do we make sure that we don't have to have these large gatherings, these long lines? You know, can we just do this thing by absentee ballot, or is there some type of electronic means that we can secure so that we can continue on and not uh, expose our citizens to this virus? You know, this, I'm concerned because I know that the Democrats can't be trusted. I remember mm -hmm. how they did Bernie Sanders when he ran against Hillary Clinton. Uh, now they're putting Joe Biden above Bernie, even though a lot of people are not socialists in this country. But I don't trust them, and I know that they want the president out. They have been fighting against him and lying on him for the last almost four years now. I'm concerned that they would use this virus in some kind of a way to try to get the president out of office this time mm -hmm. around. Well, they're already using the coronavirus for means of political exploitation. And never forget, Jesse Lee, that it was Rahm Emanuel who once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. So you're starting to see some mayors, the mayor of New Orleans, the mayor of Champaign, Illinois, start to uh, introduce these emergency orders that say, 
people are, are not going to be able to purchase firearms. People are not going to be able to purchase ammunition. People are not going to be able to transport firearms. And in Champaign, Illinois, they have not had a reported case of the coronavirus. So you're going to see those means by which they will try to undermine our essential liberties. And you're right. You have to be concerned about voter integrity and voter fraud out there. I kind of know about that from my congressional race back in, in Florida in 2012. Yeah. So we cannot allow them to use this as a means to undermine the president. And interestingly enough, if you go back and you kind of do a media comparison between this coronavirus and then the H1N1 swine flu virus that went from April of 2009 to April of 2010 with President Obama, you had 61 million Americans uh, infected with the swine flu, and we lost 12,469. But you did not see any of these draconian measures. You did not hear any of this response from the media during the uh, tenure of President Obama dealing with this as opposed to now. Yeah. So I don't like the political exploitation and the politicizing of this because this virus is very serious. I don't want to see us lose essential liberties. But let's just all be uh, you know, not driven into a herd mentality of panic, fear, and paranoia. Uh, Breitbart is reported that New Orleans mayor issued a coronavirus order Yes. allowing ban on firearms already. Mm -hmm. you're, you're absolutely right. That just came out. And so I think what you're going to see are some of these leftist mayors try to take advantage of this in their own uh, local uh, communities. And we can't allow that to happen. There's no yeah. reason why the, the people in the United States of America so lose their constitutional right. And, and that reminds me of a quote that I want to share from Benjamin Franklin that he said, those who would surrender essential liberty for temporary security will in the end deserve neither liberty nor security. And so I don't want to see us being driven into this panic state where people undermine and usurp our basic civil liberties. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, some of my listeners want to know what advice do you have for people that are seeing Texas change? You know, a lot of folks left yeah. California uh, and they moved to Texas because Texas is a conservative state and all that. But now the liberals are going there. They're trying to change that as well. What advice do you give conservatives? Well, the most important thing is that when they have this mantra called turn Texas blue and we need to challenge them. We need to go on offense and get them to define what does turn Texas blue mean? We don't need to resemble California, Illinois, New York, and New Jersey, many of these places that so many are fleeing and coming here to Texas for. Yeah. So when you talk about growth, opportunity, prosperity, we need to tell them that why would you leave a failed economic state and come here to a successful state and want it to resemble the place that you fail? If you go back to the Bible, you remember that uh, God told Lot and his family one thing when they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. And that was don't look back. Yeah. So I think that we need to develop those type of themes that say don't look back. And also, you know, Texas is not about creating victims, but that seems to be what the left wants to do because they need more victims to be dependent upon them. And that's how they get their electoral patronage. When you look at Texas, all of our major cities are controlled by the, the left. Uh, yeah. Dallas, you know, uh, San Antonio, Austin, Houston. So we've got to start getting into those inner city communities, and we've got to communicate with our minority brothers and sisters in the black and Hispanic communities that, you know, if you want to have a quality of opportunity, a better way of life, if you look at the policies of President Trump, that, you know, the unemployment rate is so low that we have never seen before, 
that's that's the direction forward, not the direction that you're seeing that has destroyed, you know, California or many of these other urban centers. Uh, back in um, 2018, 90% of black blacks black voters voted for the Democrat. Uh, uh, should we see a change in that this year? You think more blacks would vote for Republicans? I absolutely believe so. And that's because President Trump, when you looked at the last State of the Union address, when he recognized the Tuskegee Airmen, a 100-year-old Tuskegee Airmen and his great-grandson, the uh, the young lady from the inner city, the young girl, nine-year-old girl from the inner city of Philadelphia, yeah. single black mother, no father, the single black mother gave her an opportunity scholarship right on the spot, the criminal justice reform, all of these things. President Trump's approval rating in the black community has gone anywhere from a low of 27% to a high of 34%. And so in 2016, he had 8% of the uh, the black vote. I think he can double that and maybe even hit 20% because uh, when he said, uh, what have you got to lose? His policies have backed it up and we are seeing those results. And that's why the Democrats know that they have a challenge. Uh, they have to do something to try to keep the black community and even the Hispanic community on their 21st century economic plantation, or they're going to lose power and control. And they, because there are so many Hispanics in America now, and the Hispanics are now uh, outnumbering the blacks voter, right? They seem mm -hmm. to be going after the Hispanics in the same oh, way yeah. they, they went after uh, the blacks. But Hispanics, I think, a little more conservative though, uh, than... Absolutely. Absolutely. And and really, the, the black community is as well. You know, I grew up in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, the old Fourth Ward neighborhood that produced Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Uh, my parents were registered Democrats, but my parents raised me on conservative principles. It was our, our faith heritage. It was our strong families, individual responsibility, quality education, uh, small business entrepreneurship, and doing for yourself, and also service to the nation. So if we start to connect on those principles and values, we've got to tell people that if you're saying these things on Sunday, you can't just hang them up Monday through Saturday. They have to continue to be part of your life that's through right. the rest of the week. And, and I think that's what your show does a great job of doing. But then also we have to have that policy inclusiveness and engagement. We have to be there all the time and not just ramp up for election cycles and then they never see us again. So when you look at, you know, opportunity scholarships, economic uh, opportunity zones, when you look at this thing where we have seen so many black babies murdered in the womb since Roe v. Wade, we've got to start talking about those issues. Yeah. You know, uh, speaking of looking back, I remember when I first started voting, it was about voting for the person who was qualified. Mm -hmm. it, it was best qualified for the position. It wasn't about voting for the male or the female or the mm -hmm. black or the white or the Hispanic. It was voting for the person that you believe would carry out and look out for the country and do what's right. I, I'm, a little, I'm, I'm sorry that we have gotten away from that. And now it's the black vote for the black this or the Hispanics and this. We've lost the real reason for voting. Well, it's, it's come to that identity politics thing. And, you know, let's be very honest. Americans are driven by image. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of the things that's part of marketing. I mean, you look at commercials and everything like that. They appease to our image. If you just said buy this product because it's good and gave the, all the ingredients or whatever, people would say, eh, I, I want the thing that's pretty and shiny. So that has come into our political atmosphere as well. 
But I think that it is important that we do show people that you can have a quality person regardless of their skin color, their background, or their ethnicity. But we have to have that message that a person can go out there and deliver. But, you know, there's a part of this we, we have to understand that, that, you know, if this is the way that politics is gone. We've got to be able to win that image yeah. uh, battle first and foremost. We've got the right message. And so we just need to win that image battle. And therefore, the, the other side has nowhere to go. Joe Biden came out Sunday night and said that he's going to pick a female to be his <laughs> vice president. He didn't say, I'm going to pick a great person. He just said, I'm yeah. going to pick a female. And so when you start to think about it, uh, who is going to give him the best chance and opportunity to win? I, I'm telling you, uh, Pastor, it's going to be a black female, because yeah. when you look at who saved his campaign, it was the black vote in South Carolina. So start thinking about Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, or maybe even Michelle Obama joining uh, him on that stage. That's amazing. So uh, uh, speaking of the family, I want to ask you about your, your book. Is it just an amazing book, by the way? Thank you. Um, in your book, uh, We Can Overcome, you go back to a time when the black family was strong. Yes. And um, tell the folks about that and why they should be getting this book. Well, why they should get this book is because folks tend to believe that conservatism in the black community is some new item. That is who we have been for so long, yeah. because when you think about those conservative principles, my ideological mentor is Booker T. Washington. And when he established Tuskegee Normal Industrial Institute, he had three uh, core principles and values. They were education, entrepreneurship, and self-reliance. Yeah. And that institution, now Tuskegee University, still stands today. So it is important that we go back and understand our roots and who we were. The strong black family is what took us through some dark times in the United States of America. But when you go back and you look at 1965, the Great Society programs of Lyndon Baines Johnson, when he was president, that's when the decline of the black family, that nuclear, traditional, strong black family, man and woman and household, began to go asunder. I was born in 1961 in a blacks-only hospital, but in 1961, the uh, two-parent household in the black community was between 75 and 77 percent nationally. Today, it's 24 percent. And think about all the, you, well, you know, I'm pre preaching to the choir. Yeah. Think about all the things that you see in our inner city communities now because we don't have those that strong family structure today. Absolutely. You know, uh, as you know, I grew up, I was born in Alabama on a plantation. I grew up under Jim Crow laws and all that stuff. But it didn't impact my life in a negative way. And I remember uh, when we were, uh, entered the ninth grade, we used to go to uh, Tuskegee and spend a week or two uh, on campus learning about Booker T. Washington, learning about farming, learning about how he, what he was like. And he was like a major hero of mine. And mm -hmm. I remember the family being together. We had grandparents and parents, uh, my folks on land and all kinds of stuff. But when I tell the millennials about that today, they don't believe that ever existed. They think I'm lying. Mm -hmm. They think I'm making it up because they have been made to believe that they are victims. They have yeah. been made to believe that the white man is holding them back. They are taught this stuff in school. And it's hard for them to believe that America, black Americans were Americans before. You know, they don't know that yeah. we have not. They, they just don't know us. And your book, one of the reasons uh, I like your book so much is that you're bringing all this to the forefront. 
And the young blacks need this because they have been lied to about everything. They have been credibly lied to. And, and again, when you think about a person like Booker T. Washington, who was born into slavery, here was a guy that was a slave, but yet he ended up, you know, building by, by hand. I mean, this, this Tuskegee did not exist. He had to build it by hand with the students there an institution that still stands today. Yeah. And you think about George Washington Carver, the Tuskegee Airmen, all the things that came from that institution, from his vision. And so we've got to tell that story, which is not being told today. Uh, and so if he could come out of slavery, and his autobiography, Up From Slavery, is a must read. If he could come out of slavery and have that type of success under Jim Crow and segregation and things, then what excuse do we have today? So it's important that we tell these stories. It's important that we get our young people to understand that Oprah Winfrey was not the first black female millionaire. It was Madam C.J. Walker was the first <laughs> black female millionaire and all of these things. You know, it, it, one of the things that I do in the book is trace the history of black men in, in uniform, because I, that's a proud legacy of mine. Uh, four generations in my family have served in uniform, United States of America. And it's important that we trace that history all the way back and understand their perseverance of, of character that enables us to serve in the military today. So those are the stories, those are the lessons, and I tried to put it all together in that book, which I hope and pray that people will read, uh, not just now, but forever. It is an amazing book, and I'm so happy about it because I want black, all people really, but I really want the young black people to know that we are not, America is not our enemy. White yeah. people are not uh, hanging out every day trying to keep us down. It's the family. We got to rebuild that family. Fathers and mothers be good examples. Teach the kids how to work while growing up. Always have something to do. And just not hate people. You know, love. Speak up, mm -hmm. but don't hate. And in America, you can do what you want. You can be as poor as you want or as rich as you want. It's really up to you. Yeah, it is. Uh, we all have the equality of opportunity to climb the ladder of success however we want. But what we face is a philosophy that says, you you know, they control your outcomes. And we don't want to go down the path of, you know, other people sitting around and telling us that they're going to manipulate our outcomes. That's not America. That's not why people come here. That's not why we live here. I remember the uh, out of wetlock birth uh, during my time of growing up. It was an embarrassment to get married, to get pregnant out of wetlock, right? Mm -hmm. If the girl got pregnant, I remember when I first started dating, it was a, my worst nightmare was to get a girl pregnant because oh, yeah. I knew I would have to have a shotgun wedding. And so I avoided that. And I used to think that only white people sinned. I didn't think of black people as sinning because they were so, they were so upright. You know, there were things going on, but for the most yeah. part, they led the way in morality and my uncles used to go up north to pick oranges in New York and Florida and all that. And they would come back with all these stories about what they had seen white people doing. And I used to think as a young person, wow, that's amazing. White people sitting like that. I, yeah. I, now I knew I was wrong, but that's how noble most black people were when I was growing up. 
Well, that was because we had the foundation of, of faith in our communities. Yeah. You know, I, I write about it in the book, and I often tell people how, you know, on a Sunday morning, uh, you woke up, you did your little household chores, you had family breakfast, and then you headed out to Sunday school. Yeah. And, and we would all come out of our houses, and we'd walk, and we'd go to our respective churches and what have you. And so you were raised with that sense of morality. And I think what you have seen happen in the black community, that has been undermined. Look, I remember growing up in Atlanta and there was WAOK and WIGO and you had soul music and everything and mom would be playing it loudly in the house, you know. Yeah. You can't play some of this music loudly in the house today because of the curse words, because of the disparagement and the demeaning and denigrating, you know, references to black women. I mean, when did that happen? When did that occur? And so you're right, all of a sudden it was a, a chip away at the moral foundation in the black community and in society as, as a whole, in the American society as a whole. Because if you don't accept certain things, you know, pastor, you, you're told, well, you're, you're intolerant, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're Neanderthal, you're old fashioned, you're, you're not with it. Well, I kind of like being with it, understanding, you know, good and bad, right and wrong, and, and getting back to some fundamental principles of morality. Absolutely. The Hill uh, did a poll that shows black people are the most likely to be pro-religion even mm -hmm. today. So that's, mm -hmm. that's good news. Well, it's very good news, and that's something that we should build off of. And again, think about this. You know, since Roe v. Wade in 1973, we've seen 20 million black babies murdered in the womb. So when did it get to the point that we started to not cherish that most important thing, and that's life? Yeah. Go to Deuteronomy 30 and 19. It talks about the choice that you have. Choose life or choose death. But God wants us to choose life so that you and your children may live. Those are some of the fundamentals that we were raised upon. But what happened in our communities, like I said, in the inner city communities, that uh, we see the failure of these leftist policies that now we're killing our own babies. And Margaret Sanger, you know, yeah. white supremacist, racist, she yeah. found Planned Parenthood and 71 percent of Planned Parenthood clinics are located in those inner city communities. So that's what we have to start doing as as a Republican Party, as conservatives, and that's why I'd like to be the chairman, so that we go into these communities, and I think that I can speak with truth to power since I grew up in the inner city. Yeah. And people to understand, you don't have to accept this. This is not how how we were and who we were. I, I, I Again, I just hope everybody and their mama get several copies of this book. We can overcome an American Black Conservative Manifesto. How can people get the book? They can go through Amazon.com and they can order it. Uh, and also, if you want, you can go through Brown Books Publishing Group. That's uh, our publishers here in Dallas, Texas. And you can uh, get an autograph copy. I, I sit down a lot of times and just sign a bunch of autograph copies so people can, uh, can get those. So if you go through Brown Books Publishing Group, you can get an autograph copy. But you can also just go through Amazon.com. Well, I wish you well with this, and I wish you well there in Texas. And when you're in L.A., we would love to have you on my TV show, TheFallenState.TV. I just think we got to help get this, get you out there, get the book out there, get this message out, because the young generation really need this. They need the truth. I appreciate it so much, and you're right. Uh, you know, I'm starting to get a little gray up here, and so it's old heads. We got to make sure we pass that baton on to the young generation, and we got to educate them. We got to train them up. That's right. God bless you. And you. Uh, uh, anything that we can do to help you at all, you let us know. 
Well, you keep me in prayer, and uh, our website for the chairmanship race here for the Republican Party of Texas is west, the number four, texas.com, west4texas.com. And so when is that, when do they vote for you? Is it December or no, uh, November? No, sir, that will be in May, uh, 15 May, at the state convention, which now they're looking at uh, postponing that. But I think you can still do the vote uh, electronically or by some type of absentee ballot because it's done by the delegates. It's not a full statewide vote. So uh, 15th of May is right about the time, maybe the end of May, we're looking at having the election for the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. Well, Texas would be fortunate to have you run the Republican Party. That would be amazing. Well, thank you, sir. All right. Thank you for your time, and God bless you. God be with you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Check out the book, folks. We Can Overcome an American Black Conservative Manifesto, okay? You got to check it out. And then talk to the young people, millennials, about it. They will love it. We got to get to your super chats in a minute, but I want to go back to Shane. Amazing. And don't forget to like, follow, tweet, subscribe. And share the Jesse Lee Peterson radio show, folks. We really appreciate it. We are at war. It is a spiritual battle for the soul of America. And it's going to take all of us to do it. 